You know, there's something about family uh, that gives our life meaning. Our well-being emotionally, physically, psychologically, relationally, spiritually, uh, they, they revolve around our families. And I was reminded, especially this uh, few weeks ago, we got our family together uh, in our son's current state where he's living, Washington State, and uh, the grandkids are together. And I, uh, have, you, have I shown you any pictures of my grandkids lately? You'd like to see pictures, wouldn't you? Sure, you'd like to see pictures of my grandkids. Here, here are my oldest four grandkids. Uh, this is in Seattle, my son. Uh, one of the reasons we were out there, my son was celebrating uh, his graduation. He got his PhD in psychology. And uh, these are my four oldest grandkids, the, going from left to right. You'll want to memorize these names, I'm sure. Uh, Charlotte is uh, my son's middle child. Uh, Zoe, uh, his oldest. Uh, Charlotte's seven, Zoe's nine. Uh, Fiona, Fiona's, she's quite something. She's my daughter's youngest, she's five. And Keller, uh, my only grandson, uh, a very special boy, by the way, he is eight. And uh, we are there in, in downtown Seattle, that's Puget Sound, we were at a restaurant, and uh, it was fun to have them. And then there is a fifth, uh, that wasn't in that picture. I want to show you a picture of my youngest uh, grandchild. Uh, this is Mabel, and uh, she is one year old, and she is uh, all and more that that picture portrays. And uh, I, I just love those kids. They are very special to me. They're special because they're part of my family. Now, all of us have had experiences with our families that maybe aren't as pleasant and aren't as fun. Some of us might uh, come from families that are filled with pain and some kind uh, of, of dysfunction. My mom really was uh, in this situation before she met my father. My mom was married before she met my dad and was divorced uh, in her early 20s uh, after she, they had uh, two children, my older half-sister and my older half-brother, Jane and George. And my mom, all the way through her 20s as a single mom, I had no help from her former husband, no financial support. They didn't have anything to do with his children, and she had to figure out how she was going to work and support these two children until the early 40s came around, and uh, World War II uh, happened, and uh, some friends of hers at church knew of a sailor who was single in the South Pacific and wanted her to write a letter, and she did, introducing herself, and uh, wrote a several-page letter. It was... Uh, kept in a very special place in our home. And uh, my, my father, uh, future father, wrote her back and uh, a, a very long letter as well. And they finally met face to face a little bit after Christmas, really, it was January of 1945. My dad was on leave. They were together three days and were engaged. And they were married uh, in May of 1945 in a Lutheran church in Ridville Corners, Ohio. And that day, uh, my parents established a new family. And it wasn't just a new family for them, for each other. It was a new family for my older sister and brother, 11-year-old girl, Jane, and a nine-year-old boy, George. It was a new family. We are in the book of Ephesians, and Paul talks about a new family that has been formed because of the person of Jesus Christ. And he talks uh, uh, about this family in chapters 1 and 2 and uh, into chapter 3. 
It's all about this new family. And, and the good news was that salvation isn't for an exclusive group of people. It's not, nor is it about some special knowledge or spiritual dis discipline attained by individuals. It's about a savior who has come to bring us home and to establish a new home for us. So we are in the latter part of Ephesians chapter three. If you have your Bibles, you can open there, or if you have your bulletins, pull that out. And I want us to look at a passage uh, of scripture beginning in verse 14 of chapter three. And we're gonna take uh, uh, these verses up to the end of the chapter. This is the end of, by the way, three chapters of, of theology and truth that Paul is communicating. And then in chapter four, he begins to become very practical in terms of how we need to live these uh, truths out in our lives. So I want to start with verse 14 of uh, Ephesians 3. Uh, Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, I want you to look, if you have your Bibles, you can look back uh, up to verse 1 of chapter 3. He starts chapter 3 with the same words, for this reason, I, Paul, and then he goes in this long parenthetical explanation of, of uh what the joy is, this mystery that he's proclaiming to, to the church, and then now continues this thought in, uh, in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do uh, immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. This is a prayer, as you can hear it read. This is Paul praying for this church and really, in, in essence, through the inspiration of the Spirit, praying these words for us. Let me just ask you a question. How's your, how, how's your prayer life? What's your prayer life like? What, what do you pray for? As I, as I evaluate my prayer life, sometimes it, it, it doesn't run as deep as I would like. My prayer life many times can consist of, uh, Lord, help me find my car keys. Lord, I've lost my mobile phone. My whole life is in my mobile phone. You've got to help me find my mobile phone, right? You, know, you pray those prayers. God, help me find a parking place. Sometimes they're more serious in terms of, of uh, issues I'm dealing with. Lord, yeah, I want to feel better. Help my headache go away. Help me pass this test. Help me get a date. Help me get out of this date. I don't know if you prayed prayers like that. Uh, all, all, all prayers that sometimes we just sort of fire up, and then they, they can uh, move to the more serious as well. Lord, help my, my child to be safe. Lord, help this illness that is serious to, uh, bring healing uh, to my loved one. Lord, bring healing to our city. We've prayed this recently as, as we've gone through the tragedy of, of all, the, all the lives that have been lost uh, in, in, in acts of terror. And I think all these are valid prayers, obviously. But do they really allow us, or, and I ask myself this question, do they allow me 
in, in, if I just stay in that arena to, to maximize my communication and my conversations with God. And I, I want us to look at this passage and I want us to see how Paul prays for these believers and what he prays for and how we can join in that prayer and have that affect and change our lives. So verse 14, for this reason. This reason basically revolves around the fact that, that now the Gentiles, the, the, the non-Jewish believers, have attained a new status. And he explains this, and Zach uh, here turned into, uh, expanded on this beautifully last week, uh, where he talked about the, the fact that, that we are now all one in this new family. There's not male or female. There's not slave or free. Uh, it, 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 we are all one in Christ. And, and for, the, for the Jewish believer, or for the Jewish person, it wasn't a, a new thing that the Gentiles could, could believe in, in, in Yahweh. They, they always allowed for there to be people to come into that faith to convert Judaism, but they were always second-class citizens. There was a court of the Gentiles in the temple, but they were not allowed the privileges of someone who was born Jewish. But that's all been done away with now. And Paul excitedly tells us of that in the first part of chapter 3. And, and the, the great news is that, that we all stand as equal before God. And, he, and I just want to mention this. He says, I kneel before the Father. When you pray... How do you pray? You ever, do you ever kneel praying? I, you know, I, I think sometimes that's a lost uh, practice and discipline. But kneeling is an act of, of humility. And, and it's an act uh, where we show devotion to the person before we're kneeling. And Paul says, I, I'm coming to, to God with devotion and with humility as I pray this prayer. And then verse 15, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. So what he's saying is that God really is the one now who, who names who we are. And he says, uh, in, in heaven and on earth. I'm not sure, and, and commentators aren't really sure what the, what the actual explanation of this is, but the... the General feeling is that there, there are beings in heaven that God gives names to and, and, of course, earthly beings that God gives us names. And if you know scripture, you know that God many times will change people's names specifically and purposely. He'll give them a new name. Abraham was named Abram. Abram meant noble father. God changes his name to Abraham, father of many. His wife Sarai meant princess gives her a new name, Sarah, mother of nations. Jacob, supplanter, is given a new name, Israel, wrestles with God. And in the New Testament, same way, Simon, Simon, uh, who, who uh, God, uh, Jesus changes his name to Peter. Simon means God has heard. Peter is rock. And, and Jesus says, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And Saul himself uh, is now called Paul. His, his Latin name, but Paul meaning humble or little. The names change. God gives us these names to help communicate to us how special we are. And then Paul goes on, and he, gives, he has two petitions, and this is what I want us to look at most closely. Two things that he prays for these believers. 
He prays, first of all, for the power to make our hearts a dwelling place for Christ. Let me repeat that. He prays that we make our hearts a dwelling place for Christ. And the second thing he prays is that we have the power to know Christ's love. The word power, dunamis, is, is in this text, the Greek word where we get our word for dynamo or dynamite. There's, there, there's this power that he is praying for these believers, that they, they could make their hearts a dwelling place for Christ and to know Christ's love. Have you ever tried to define power? I, I'm... You know, I, I never did well in physics. I'm not a physicist, but I always like to figure out, you know, what, you know, what the definition of power is. And I looked it up as a reminder of my, my uh, uh, basic physics class in college, and I found the formula. Power is work over time. Power is the rate of doing work. It's the amount of energy consumed per unit time. So you have power on one side of the equation, and you have this energy, this work, and, and uh, that work is, is defined by the time it takes to do that work. So there is a time component to power, and there is a work component to power. Power isn't just something that God zaps us with. He certainly gives us this power, but it's something that we have to connect into and be intentional about in order to exercise that in our lives. I was... Uh, Coming back from, from uh, a lengthy vacation, we got together with my Thursday morning study, and there are three men in it. We've been meeting for years and, and uh, going through uh, different parts of Scripture. We're in the Psalms now. And it was sort of evaluation time. And I, uh, we were starting up. I said uh, to, to this group, I said, okay, tell me how your, your spiritual life is. What's, what's God doing? Well, evaluate yourself spiritually. And... and um, I was looking at three men looking at me, and they had these deer-in-the-headlights stare. And uh, to a man, they told me how busy they were, uh, and they were hardworking, they're God-honoring men, uh, but they were so consumed with the, the, uh, the efforts of their occupation and their families. And to a man, they said, you know, I'm just not putting time into it. It's not just taking time. A time for a quiet time, as important as that is, but bringing God into every area of their lives. What Paul does in his spirit-given wisdom is he prays this most important prayer that I think he can pray for the Ephesians brothers and sisters. And he starts with this prayer of our hearts being a dwelling place for Christ. Now, the pictures that, that we took that I just showed you were in Seattle. We took a, a long trip to Seattle, uh, early latter part of May, early part of June, and that was our, part of it was our 40th wedding anniversary. So we stayed in various places. We stayed in a hotel. Uh, we stayed on a, a ship. A, 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 we went on a cruise. Uh, the, the rooms and the brochure look always bigger than they really are when you go on those ships. They're they're a little little small. Uh, we stayed at a friend's house during this trip. We stayed at an extended stay hotel for a few days. Uh, and then we stayed at a condo at a lake where we went to vacation as a family. All, all these accommodations were really nice, but I never felt at home. Never did. Never felt at home. And Paul, as he, as he prays this prayer, starting with verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of God's glorious riches, so God has a wealth of power that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit 
in your inner being. God strengthens us with his power in our inner being. Our inner being is, is this new life that we have spiritually that the Holy Spirit brings us. It's, it's, it's the, the power that we have uh, because he lives in our life. So the true self stands in contrast to the old self, which is attached to this body of death that we have. But this is not our true self. It's the inner being. Paul wants that energized. And then, he's, and, and then he goes on, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So faith isn't just wishful thinking. It's active trust. So I want to, as I was thinking, what does it mean then to have to Christ dwell in my heart. And, and I was thinking, you know, it takes work, really, to make a home. Just because you're living together with someone doesn't make uh, that into, doesn't mean that you are dwelling with that person, that you're dwelling together. I do a, a good a bit of marriage counseling, and I hear this often with couples who are having difficulties and, and, and not really doing well together. I hear this, this statement, you know, it's, it's, it's like we're living together, but we're just living like roommates. And so you've got two people who really, they're under the same roof, but they are not really dwelling together. They're, they're, they're just living together. A house is where we live. A home is where we dwell. It's the same with our, 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 our relationship with Christ as well. You know, we, you know, I've heard described, and Zach did last week, you know, Jesus is my buddy or Jesus is my homeboy, Zach said. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, but, you know, it's just like God is my co-pilot. No, that's, it's not just like, like, like he's along for the ride. Paul is calling us into something deeper and much, much more profound. So marriages, I will tell you, if you're going to dwell together, marriages are work. And one of the places we visited when we were out west and, and on this cruise, we went to Vancouver Island, and there's a wonderful place on Vancouver Island called Butcher Gardens. If you ever get a chance to go, go there, you should go there. It's absolutely fabulous. It's just one of the most beautiful places I've ever been, all the flowers and, and uh, the, the, uh, the way that it's put together. It's, it's, I, can't, I can't even describe it. And we enjoyed that visit, and, and we were done walking around the gardens. We went to have some tea, and, uh, and my wife wanted to go the, to the gift shop to buy a calendar for a friend, and uh, she said to me, you go uh, in, in the uh, shop there, and you, get me a, you pick out a dessert for me and get me some tea. And I said, okay, I can do that. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. That'll be fun. So I went in, and I got this great chocolate brownie that's just delicious, and a... Uh, chocolate chip cookie with that was also chocolate you know those chocolate chocolate chip cookies it was just like because i love chocolate and i got her the tea and i brought it back and she came to the table where we were after she was shopping and i said you know, i'm proudly pointing out the, the desserts I, I got her the treats and she looked at me and she said very sweetly she said jim keller and whenever she uses my last name with my first it gets my attention she says uh, she said how long have we been married which is sort of a rhetorical question. It wasn't too hard because we were on a cruise celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary, so that wasn't hard. I, I don't think she really needed to know the information. And then she looked at me and she said, we've been married 40 years and you still don't know that I don't like chocolate. And I, and I, I remember thinking to myself, I'm not sure I ever really 
fully comprehended that. I know that she didn't order that very much at restaurants. But see, I like chocolate very, very much. <laughs> and, I, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, this being married uh, is a process and it is a work in process. If you're going to dwell together, you have to be more than just roommates. If you're going to dwell with Christ, if you're going to make your heart a dwelling place for Christ, it's going to mean more than just you having some kind of working relationship with him. It, makes, it means that you will make your heart a place where he can feel at home. And to dwell isn't just a passive verb. It is an active verb. You are actively working to make your heart a place where Christ can dwell. So Paul basically is praying, God, show me how to make my heart a better dwelling place for your son. I was struck with that as I, as I studied this passage. I remember I've been praying the, the past few weeks, God, teach me what that means to allow my life to, to be a place where you are comfortable being where you enjoy my hospitality. And then the second and, and last petition that he prays here is that we would have a knowledge of Christ's love. And this is a call, basically, to spiritual intimacy. He, he prays, beginning in the middle part of verse 17, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the, is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And when you read this passage in the original language in the Greek, you, you just get this sense of, of Paul being excited about what he is saying, and, and there, there's, there's really a poetry almost in terms of these words as he puts them together. He, he's, he, he basically almost can't contain himself in terms of praying this. God has a relationship with, with us, he says, that is rooted and grounded in love. And then, then he says, God's love is, is wide and long and high and deep. And, and the Greek words, I've got to read the Greek words because they're so, they're, they're so poetic as he puts them together. Uh, platos, makos, upsos, bathos. You get the poetry of Paul. Platos, br uh, wide, makos, long, upsos, high. Bathos, deep. Wide, Christ's arms extended to us. His love is for everyone. Long, lasts from now through eternity. It never ends. High, it's a place that's safe from all enemies. It cannot be taken away from us. And deep, it keeps giving. And we, we learn more and more about the profound love of Christ as we grow in that love in him. And then he uses this wonderful little phrase. I pray that you would uh, know this love that surpasses knowledge. Do you get that? I want you to, he says, I want you to know this love that you really can't even begin to, to it almost surp it surpasses knowledge. It's not like we can't experience any of it. He's saying it's a love that keeps giving and giving and it, there's always something new to it. It surpasses what we're able to comprehend. And then God calls us to this ever closer relationship with him.
It takes power to maintain love, Paul is saying. And, and he's asking, he's praying that you and I, as well as these Ephesians, would have the power to understand and to begin to comprehend more fully what this love looks like. Love just doesn't happen to you. Love isn't a passive verb either. It's an active verb. Infatuation happens to you. There you go. You're infatuated. Oh, I'm in love. No, that's not love. That's infatuation. Love is work. And the power that we need, remember that there's a work element to it and a time element to it. It's not coal mine work, but it never should be taken for granted. If you've done any marriage counseling or, or you've done any pre-marriage counseling before you got married, um, there's a wonderful book by Gary Smalley called uh, Five Languages of Love. You don't have to be married to enjoy it. It's a really great book for relationships as well. And uh, I don't know if there's more than five love languages, but according to Gary Smalley, there's five. And uh, it's really a pretty profound book. It's one of those books you read and go, I could have written that, and I wish I would have because it sold millions. And uh, so here, here are his five love languages. Words of affirmation, which happens to be mine, by the way, just in case you're wondering, what's Jim's love language? It's words of affirmation. So afterwards, you might want to remember that. Uh, time together is one. Gifts. Physical affection. And acts of service. Okay? Five love languages. And what Smalley's premise is, is that we, different things communicate love to different people. If we're going to grow closer together, we need to learn that person's love language. But all these love languages come from God. He created us. And if I'm honest with you, I want God to love me like that. And you know what I want God to do for me? I want God to give me words of affirmation. Of course, he does. I want him to, to pay attention to me and, and spend time with me. I want God, I have to admit to you, give me gifts. I'd like God to, to show me physical affection by, by keeping my body safe and, and, and protecting it. And... Uh, I'd, I'd like God to do acts of service for me. But do you understand what Paul is calling the Ephesians into, what he's calling us into? It's not just God doing this for me and me understanding how much God loves me, but it's me entering into this love relationship with God. Love is work. So instead of God doing these things for me, I was thinking, you know, I think it, it, it's also appropriate for me to love God by giving him words of affirmation and praise and me spending time together with him and me giving him gifts as we, as we give of the treasure that God gives us both in time and, and, and in goods back to him and we show him physical affection we'll do this tonight as, as we tangibly remember in love, the sacrifice that God made for us by taking the bread and the wine. And that we give him acts of service. Paul is praying for this church, for you and me, that we not just know God's love and, and its depth, but that we enter into that love relationship. It's not just a passive thing that we experience, but it's what we respond to as well. My granddaughter, Fiona, my, my daughter's youngest, um, she's, she and I have had this interesting relationship over the years. She's five, and she's always had this 
keen sense of humor, and uh, I, I love to tease her and have fun with her, but one of the things we established early on was I, I and she's, she's shy, and she would respond in this way because, I, because she's shy, but I would, I would come into a room and I'd go, Fiona, and, and she a lot of times wouldn't even answer. She'd just sort of stay at the other side of the room. I said, Fiona, I love you, Fiona. And uh, her answer traditionally over the years has been, no, and she runs away. That, that's, that's a great relationship, isn't it? So I mean, even when I'm, I'm doing FaceTime, Fiona, are you there? Fiona, I love you, Fiona. And she goes, no, runs from the room. But lately, we've, we've, we've had a little bit of closer relationship. My, my granddaughter loves to play games, and we have sort of established this time together where we'll play games. And we were at a lake in Washington, and, and uh, it was the last day we were there, and Fiona was in the room with me, and she goes, Papa Jim, she says, let's, let's play uh, I Spy. And uh, I said, okay, let's do that. So you think of a thing in the room with a certain color, and, and uh, we started playing that game. We played that game for tw at least 20, 25 minutes and uh, without stopping. She just wanted to, wanted to keep playing. We'd laugh about certain things and give hints and things like that. So my wife, after we've been playing for a while, came into the room. She said, Fiona, she said, all, all the kids are next door. Do you want to go next door? Here's what my granddaughter said. She said, no, Nene, I, I want to stay with Papa Jim. I want to stay with Papa Jim. And my wife, being a little surprised at that, left the room, but commented on it later. I want to tell you how that made me feel. I've always loved her. <laughs> I'll always love her. But to have that love reciprocated, then you go deeper. And it makes me want to do stuff for her. Paul's praying. Not just that we know the wonderful love of Christ, but that we would participate in that love. And then Paul ends these petitions with one of the most marvelous benedictions of all of Scripture. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And then he puts this phrase in, according to his power that is wor at work within us. You want, you want a great prayer life where God answers your prayers? Enter into that power. It takes some effort and it takes some time. But enjoy that power as it's there. And then he says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I didn't really know my older half-brother and half-sister very well. They, they were uh, 15. My, my sister Jane was 15. My brother George was 13 when I was born. So I really didn't grow up with them, obviously. Uh, but, but we've established a relationship over the years. It's very loving, and, and I always considered them uh, very close. And there was never any differentiation between them and uh, myself and my two younger brothers, my, my uh, father's biological children. And so... Um, I was told this story, I didn't realize, because I was only five at the time. But when my brother George turned 18, uh, he was not allowed to be adopted by my dad when he married my mom. So he, from the age of 11 through 18, uh, lived with my, my mom and dad, obviously, and enjoyed the love of my father and the, the opportunity to be with a male role model. 
So my brother turned 18, my brother George, he went, got in his car, he went downtown to the courthouse in Toledo, Ohio, and went into the courthouse and uh, went through the process of on his own, his own, own decision, changed his name from his biological father's name to my dad's name, Keller. And he did that because he had a new family. He did that because he had a father now who loved him and he took on a new name. This is what God calls all of us into. Paul, as he prays this prayer, invites us to make our lives a dwelling place and for us to experience and join in what it means to not just accept God's love, but return that love to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what we've been called to. Pray that as we consider these things and, and enter into this time of, of uh, contemplation and celebration of what you've done for us, that we would, as your children, examine our hearts and, and, and lives. And I pray that I, first of all, would, would make my heart continually a better place for you to dwell. And I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to experience the relationship we have with you and the deep love you have for us. Help us never to forget it. Help us never to get to a place where we don't respond in kind. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.